There's a very small sect of people who actually proclaim to be atheists or agnostic who vote for Democrats. If your ideology is so good and you use your ideology to enforce it on a group of people who don't want your ideology, you become uh, an oppressor. One in a million, a million, the one villain. Too hot to be in the kitchen. I'll end up melting the ceiling. I've long believed that the future of our nation is inextricably intertwined with the future of Judeo-Christian value system. Oh, <laughs> he's starting off. <laughs> he's starting off strong. I'm gonna get my thoughts on that real quick. Let me let me let let me, let, let him finish his uh, thought. And I know of very few places in the United States that are more valuable to that future than right here at Liberty University. I'm just blown away by you guys. All right, so, all right, cool. Here we go. If the country is founded on Judeo-Christian values, I don't understand why that matters. Okay, I know a lot of people will make the argument that America is founded on Judeo-Christian values Okay, let's say it is. Okay, let's say all right, it's, it's founded on Judeo uh, Christian values, which I think the the Treaty of Versailles or something of that sort would probably argue a little different. But let's say it is right, and I'm pretty sure it has a heavy, it has a major impact on our society because, like, there were a lot of Christians in America, and they brought Christianity over here. Most people probably over here were Christians, right? I mean, of course, they have some kind of a uh, some kind of like impact. I just don't like this idea of Judeo Christian because like nobody ever says Judeo Islam, even though Islam was impacted by Judaism and Christianity. Nobody ever says Judeo Christian Islam, but there's this marriage between Christianity and Judaism because I know why. Because it's politically, uh, it's politically advantageous. Like it, it makes sense. The alliance makes sense given the way the world is set up at this moment, right? At one point, Catholics hated Jews and like, but push that aside. Even if the country is founded on Judeo-Christian values, I really don't see what that has to do with now. We can decide to go elsewhere or maybe our values have transcended Judeo-Christian values and morphed into a combination of different values from different cultures and created something totally new. But America was built on a fundamental idea, an idea that was the product of nearly 3,000 years of philosophical evolution. That idea, planted at Sinai, watered in the Galilee, pruned through the thought of Athens, and strengthened by the push and pull of reason and revelation for centuries, was embedded by our founders in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States. And that principle was simple, that human beings are made in the image of God, that we are therefore beneficiaries of inalienable God-given rights, that government was created in order to protect those rights and not invade them, and that we must use our freedom to pursue, to pursue virtue. Okay, here's the problem I always have with this, right? Um, like, I, I think Ben Shapiro, uh, I know a lot of people hate Ben Shapiro who are liberals, but I don't hate Ben Shapiro. And even as a conservative, like there are conservative talking heads that I don't like and that I can't stand. Ben Shapiro doesn't come off as a type of person. I think is just in it to like get clicks. He does sometimes like really like get some good footage and that goes viral, which, you know, he's really good at what he does. Like you can't deny that whether you like him or not. Um, but this idea of like, um, let me rewind a little bit. Kind of those rights not invade them and that we must use our freedom to pursue, to pursue virtue. Okay, so a lot of times uh, Christians or, you know, they'll, they'll make the statement that 
we were made in the image of God. And that means every human has inherent value. Well, that's fine if we don't have a Bible that literally tells God to go through and literally commit genocide on masses of groups of people. Um, and one could argue where they were practicing the false beliefs and false gods. But in order to say every man is created in the image of God and has inherent value, they're, they're in turn making the argument that every human being should be treated with value and worth. And I don't think killing them, regardless of what their faith is or what practices they have, would be considered. Because in, in turn, it's like killing God. And I mean, did God not also offer up his own son to be brutally tortured and murdered? And God treated Jesus that way. So being inherently valuable or being made in the image of God doesn't mean that you should be treated any such type of way. Because we've seen throughout the Bible that people, regardless of what culture they were from, even Jews themselves, were treated pretty horrible in certain circumstances. So it doesn't tell you how to treat people or how you should look at other people or individuals and what their actual worth is. All it tells you is that, hey, we have this claim in the Bible, but it doesn't say that how you should treat people. God said to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me. Okay, the United States echoed that message. He also said, let my people go so that he could like allow them to enslave other people. Let's not forget that as well. From its very inception, George Washington stated in his first inaugural address, quote, since there exists in the economy and course of nature an indissoluble union between virtue and happiness, between duty and advantage, the propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right, which heaven itself has ordained. The very basis of our politics then lies in the recognition that rights without virtues lead to chaos and that virtues without rights lead to tyranny. Only by balancing public rights with private virtues can we truly uphold freedom and pursue happiness. One half of the equation, though, seems to have gone awry. I think we can get that without um, Christianity or Judeo-Christian values. I think what Bishop Hill is really a fan of is Judaism, but he understands that his audience is mostly Christian. So I, I get the, the 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 maneuver there, but like Christians and Jews very much differ when it comes to like their actual belief systems. And like one group believes that the other group is probably going to hell. And the other group believes that the other group is probably going to hell. Like, I mean, unless I'm missing something here. I, in modern America, we've been taught that our rights are paramount, which is fine. But we've also been taught that we have no duty to be virtuous. In fact, anyone who says that we have a duty to be virtuous is harming you, microaggressing you, ethnocentrically mansplaining to you in cisgender fashion. How can anyone expect us to be virtue, the argument goes, when the system itself is so deeply flawed? How can we blame people for being immoral when the system is biased in favor of a few white rich men at the top? First, we have to fix the system. Then human beings themselves will change. Up, Virtue will become buddy? natural. We'll all just magically become wonderful, great people. All we have to do to make this magical thing happen is hand over all our freedoms to a centralized government, and that government will then provide us new rights, you know, better than the old God-given ones. Instead of the right to free speech, the government will provide us a right not to be offended. Our feelings will be protected. Okay, to be fair, right, like, the government is the one that, is, like, instituted the Constitution, wrote the Bill of Rights. Like, they were the ones who, even if he says that they were Judeo-Christian values, the government is the one that enshrined it by government mandate. So to say 
that the government can't give you these new rights or whatever. Like technically they can, but like we don't want them to. But at the same time, you can't agree that it was right for the founders to do it, but it's not right for people to do it now. You could, At best, you can make the argument that I just disagree with what they're trying to do. But you cannot get grant the power to the founders to do something that you're not willing to grant people now to do. Because the founders were no, they bled just like the rest of us bleed. They were men just like the rest of us. And they just so happened to be at the time where they were, they had the ability to enshrine these things in law. But if they can do it, other people can do it. And we have to stop making this mistake that because something is so good that somehow it will remain that way throughout time or that it should remain that way throughout time. Because guess what? The people who founded America were going against the established rule on the law of the land of the time. They pushed back against the, the monarchy in Britain. They pushed back against the, the religious control that was over them. They neglected, like they literally pushed back against all of that to, to, to find a new path, their own path. And yet we applaud them for that. But yet we look down on other people for trying to do the same thing. Look, they could be wrong and we could disagree with them, but we can't fundamentally be against the idea of what they're doing. We can just be against what they're trying to do by doing it, if that makes sense. Good. Instead of a right to life, the government will provide us the right to kill unborn babies. Instead of a right to create and keep the way... Uh, let me, uh, I'm just dropping by to say hi. I got a ground on my final. Go get it, brother. Go get it. <laughs> man, I appreciate the love, man. Man, drop that light. Hit that light before you leave out of here. Ages of our labor, the government will provide us a nice, comfortable social safety net without us actually having to do the work. Then, after all that's done, human beings will magically become better, will become good if all this happens. This is the philosophy of collectivism. The philosophy that says that human beings suffer because the Judeo-Christian system expects too much of us individually. Okay, so here I am, right? I'm a conservative. And I believe I'm a conservative. Now, some people, because I disagree with them on certain facets of what they believe, might say, you're not a real conservative. And no matter how many caveats I put in this, some people are going to take me the wrong way and decide to run with whatever idea they want to run with. Okay, that's fine. That's the nature of the beast. But here's the problem with what Bishop Hero is effectively saying right here. Most people who vote Democrat or most people who are like trying to push these policies that he's against, I don't think they they, they I don't think they thinking that far. Like most Democrats are claim to be religious. Claim. Now, some people are gonna say they're not really religious. I don't read people's minds. I don't know what people really believe. I deal with what people tell me because that's all I can do. But most Democrats, most people on the left are spiritual or religious in some shape, form, or fashion. There's a very small sect of people who actually proclaim to be atheist or agnostic who vote for Democrats. So, in many senses, like look at Pete Buttigieg. Joe Biden literally swore like the biggest Bible there was. Joe Biden claims to be Catholic. Now, people going to argue that Joe Biden isn't really a Catholic. Like I said, I'm not getting into that. I only go by what people proclaim because there are Christians who disagree with Christians all the time. But to say that most people are thinking this deep into it, that like we need to get rid of the Christian ideals in order for us to live a perfect life, that may be a small section of the Democrat Party 
the people who might proclaim to be atheists and agnostic. And I think amongst that section, it may not even be all of them because there are atheists who kind of agree with certain facets of the Bible who think that it's good to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And it's good to like, thou shall not kill and things of that sort. Like, it's not necessarily the case, but we have to draw these lines. And look, I'm never going to be as big as Ben Shapiro. I've accepted that because I just refuse to sell myself on these on this grand narrative of lies that people want to eat up and swallow. That's fine. But the truth is the truth. Most people aren't thinking that deep into it. And most people aren't trying to destroy Christianity in order to reach a utopia. I don't really think that's the truth. I think people just vastly differ on what they think is best for the country. And some people are vastly wrong. Some people are more right than others. And that's just politics. Judeo-Christian philosophy expects us to struggle, to strive. Judeo-Christian philosophy demands that we do our best <laughs> and that we act virtuously on the individual level so that we can feel secure without invading <laughs> each other's rights. The Judeo-Christian tradition says that with freedom comes responsibility. Collectivist philosophy, however, thinks differently. They expect us to give our individual striving up. No more striving, no more struggle. All we have to do is trade our individual responsibility for the comfort of collective power. Collectivist philosophy points out that individual virtue isn't natural. It I don't think it's collectivism versus Judeo-Christianity. I think the proper way to phrase this is there are some people who are vastly more comfortable with more government than less government. I think it's a, a comfort level between how much government versus how little government. I think that's where the, the, the bones of the conversation really is. Some people are more comfortable with the government having more hands in certain facets like healthcare and college and things of that sort, while other people disagree. I think that's a political philosophical stance. I don't think religion really needs to play a role in this. Some people will say that, okay, my religion informs me of this certain value, but you can reach those values by other means. And you can make that argument without bringing religion into the actual conversation. But the one of the biggest reasons that religion remains a, a driving factor in our politics is because it works. If, if I can get you to agree with me because we share the same religion, I don't have to do much work convincing you on the actual political arguments, right? And of course, there are people who need the political arguments to be convinced, but they're not really trying to like reach those people because the political arguments are already made. But how do you keep the people who don't really get into politics like that, but they are really passionate about their Bible? This is how you do it. But like, look, I'm an atheist, but I'm also a conservative. I believe that you can come to conservative values without religion. I'm a walking testament of that. But it would never be mainstream to say, hey, it's okay to be conservative and you don't need the religion to make you conservative. Because most people believe that in order to be conservative, you have to be religious. I just, I don't see why, but it works. That's why I think they make this argument because it works and they're going to continuously do what works because why the hell wouldn't you? So in a sense, I'm not mad at Ben Shapiro, but like on my show, I'm going to call it for what I see. And like I said, I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure somebody going to come in here and say how I'm wrong. And I'm open to have that conversation. It is a struggle. And we can avoid that struggle by handing over all power to a nanny state. Judeo-Christianity says, you're free, and therefore you must give. Collectivist philosophy says, you are unfree, and thus the state must take on your behalf. 
It's this philosophy of collectivism <laughs> against which Moses and Jesus and George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. That's why I'm, hey, I, I saw you was like, oh, I'm just dropping by. I'm like, okay, okay, all right, we'll see. <laughs> Madison fought. It is this philosophy that Americans have fought and bled and died to extend to more and more people over time. Americans have fought, died, and bled for a numerous amount of things. Literally, the Civil War, there were half of the country literally fought, bled, and died so that they could have the rights to own slaves. That doesn't mean that it was a good idea. That doesn't mean that their way was right. Like, Bishop Hero is a very good debater. Bishop Hero is very good at, like, getting the conversation and breaking things down. But if you're not careful, if you're not paying attention, there will be moments, especially when giving a speech or something, you don't have like to really go through that whole argumentation where you can just exert things or like just say things that's supposed to be taken at face value. And I'm just can't, I just can't let it slide. Abraham Lincoln saw black slaves as human beings and hundreds of thousands of Americans died to extend the American covenant to them. And on the other side, American soldiers left their corpses on the beaches of Normandy to extend that promise to subject peoples. Sometimes people in our military go to war for things that have nothing to do with spreading democracy or the American values. Sometimes we go to war to get rid of a dictator. Sometimes we go to war to stop the spread of communism. May not necessarily mean to spread capitalism, but to stop the spread of communism. Sometimes we go to war for resources and minerals or America's interests. It doesn't always mean that we're spreading certain values. War was never meant to just always spread a certain ideology. War should never just be to spread a certain ideology because the problem is if your ideology is so good and you use your ideology to enforce it on a group of people who don't want your ideology, you become a, an oppressor. You become the authoritarian in that circumstance. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated fighting to extend the American promise to black Americans. Ronald Reagan spent his years fighting to spread the light of Americanism beyond the Berlin Wall. And today, Americans liberate Muslims in the Middle East from the heavy hand of collectivist Islamism. Americans protect South Koreans and Taiwanese free people from the burden of North Korean and Chinese communism. Americans stand ready to thwart the threat of collectivist tyranny across the globe. But there is a threat to founding philosophy growing right here at home. It's growing because too many Americans believe that virtue is less important than virtue signaling. Okay, too many Americans believe that freedom is actually a burden. Too many Americans believe that they know what's best for other Americans, even when they personally abandon virtue. So. <laughs> All right. So, like, I agree with Ben Shapiro on the fact that there are a large percentage of Americans who are, like, may not be in love with the idea of America or the American ideals or the American founders or the Constitution or some of the things of that sort. Right? I do agree that there are a percentage of people who are not fond of, like, the the what has America is supposed to stand for, or at least does stand for. And they're pushing the back against that. They want to make some changes and things of that sort. But let's not also forget that while at the same time, while we may feel like they're trying to assault the founding of the country, one of the main principles of being American is the idea of uh, free speech and the idea of protest and, you know, fighting for your values and being able to hold your values without, you know, being able to say your truth in the public square. That is also American. Um, so while at the same time, they're using certain American ideals to fight against other American ideals, 
it's not necessarily wrong. Like I, I say, let's focus on the arguments. Let's focus on why they are wrong for pushing what they're pushing for, not for the sake that they're pushing. And we have to be very careful not to take that route because inherently that's in a way being anti-American. Oh, the question becomes, how exactly do we go about restoring the Judeo-Christian tradition upon which the nation was built? How exactly do we bring back the philosophy of the founders and restore their promise? Well, to do that, we have to go back to basics. We actually have to talk about morality and politics, not just efficiency, not just why our ideas work, but morality. What is good and what is bad, what is right, what is wrong, what is true and what is evil. But how do you go about convincing some people who fundamentally disagree with you on what your morality is? Bro, there is no arbitrator. If there's an arbitrator, let them come down and put this to rest. If there is a God who says morality is what it is, okay, let him decide. Let him separate the wheat from the shaft. But who, who gets the authority to decide that my way must be right and yours is just immoral? Like, you got to understand and you got to contend with the idea that there are going to be people who disagree with you. Bro, there are Christians who disagree with other Christians and they battling about who morals are right. Who has the right interpretation of the Bible? So, like, everybody has some sense of morality. It's a difference in opinion. And that's all this is. It's not evil. It's not nefarious. It's just a difference in opinion. It's that simple. Now, advocates for personal philosophy, for founding philosophy, you know, these personal freedoms, individual responsibility, we make a pretty big mistake when we talk about that philosophy because... See, I agree with him that there are certain principles and certain philosophies that we should adhere to, but we can't overlook freedom of speech, the right to protest. Those are also American ideals. Those are things that came with this country as well. We can't shut down certain American values for the sake of keeping these values being unchallenged. I, I just... Okay. Because we do spend a lot of time talking about how effective it is. We point out that free markets have led to the greatest reduction in poverty in world history. In 1981, 44.3% of the global population lived on less than a buck 90 a day. In 2015, the global extreme poverty rate dipped below 10%. We on the right like to point out that a philosophy of individualism has led to massive increases in living standards within the United States and also around the world. And we point out that collectivist countries tend to stagnate. But we don't point too often to underlying values. Okay, so here, let me let me try to break this down in the best way I possibly can, right? Um, individualism, I'm a big proponent of. I do believe that each individual has their own ability to achieve, to strive, to pursue the happiness, things of that sort. But you never get just one or the other. You get a, 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 it's, it's a, it's a multitude of things in a bag. You get collectivism and you get individualism. It's a, it's a rap bundle. As individuals in this country, I do believe that we have a civil duty to our fellow Americans. Just like, let's use his example, the Judeo-Christian values in the Bible, where Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? Jesus was all about what he did for other people and how he helped other people, right? That was a big, big message in the Bible. So while I do believe that individuals have a certain sense of responsibility and duty for themselves and should have the ability to make their own decisions, I still don't think that relieves us of having some kind of civil duty to our fellow Americans and the people around us. So you don't just get one without the other. Um, and I think that goes back to what he was saying about, you know, virtues um, and rights. 
yeah, you have the right to, you know, pursue the happiness and your freedoms, but a virtue that comes with that should be a moral duty or some kind of uh, civil duty to your fellow Americans. See, here's the thing we have to acknowledge. There is a draw to collectivism. There is a draw to leftism. The draw is pretty simple. Collectivism promises solutions to cosmic injustices. When collectivists stand up here and invoke the least specific, I mean, like here on this stage, and invoke the least specific verses of the Bible to justify government redistributionism and crackdowns on religious practice because of fairness, they are making a moral appeal. Collectivism comes in different shapes and forms, right? Like, I know that he's addressing American collectivism and how people are certainly feeling like the collective should override the individual in certain senses, but like the Nazis were collectivists and their idea was that like, we're going to write the injustices of the universe. Their idea was like, no, uh, we're a certain group and as a group, we feel like we're superior and we should be running the show and those people who get in our way or we feel that is a problem should go. And that was a collective mindset and it had nothing to do with cosmic justice. Um, you can't just put a, a fine pin, like the, like a fine point on, on certain ideas being exactly this because it comes in different shapes and forms. And I do believe that religion is a form of collectivism, regardless if you believe it or not, religion is a form of collectivism. When Bernie Sanders stands up here and tells you that the top 1% of the 1% owe 90% of all the wealth. <laughs> when he says that America is not a just society in line with a context-free verse from a book he's never read by Amos, and then suggests that if you give him more power, he will rectify that unfairness, that is a moral appeal. It is not an, it is not an argument about efficiency. Yes, right? And I would apply that same argument to every single politician. Donald Trump got on stage and made a lot of promises. If you elect me, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to right these wrongs. I'm going to bring back the jobs. Hillary Clinton did it. All of the politicians do it. Their whole point is to go out there and promise you, if you elect me, I'm going to fix the problems that you think you have or the problems that you're going through. It's not unique. It's just that one guy says something we like versus the other guy says something we didn't like. But it's all coming from the same source. Elect me, and I'm going to fix all of your problems collectively. It's a bad moral appeal, of course. Name the last politician that got up on stage and said, I can't fix your problems. You have to fix your problems. When was the last time you saw a politician get up there and say those words? Inequality doesn't necessarily mean unfairness, but it is a moral appeal. And that moral appeal, unfortunately, for too many people is effective. It's effective because it goes to our hearts, not to our heads. It reminds us of fundamental values, even if it's skewing those fundamental values. Conservatives tend to talk about what works. People on the left tend to talk about what's fair. But values are not a left-wing monopoly. In fact, the fundamental values of Western civilization run a hell of a lot deeper than the shallow values of the collectivists. The values that resonate most with human beings are eternal, not changeable, and not relativistic. They are universal. They are not group-specific. And most of all, they apply to individual human beings, not group labels. And those values were first embedded clear. When you say something is universal, what you're saying is it applies to everyone. That is collective flat out. Like, hear what he says here, right? And I didn't I didn't click on this video thinking that I was going to be like beat up on Ben Shapiro or anything like that. Look, like my my point is not to like tear down Ben Shapiro or whatever. And I know some Ben Shapiro fanboy is going to get up here and he's going to complain and say, oh, yeah, you wouldn't debate Ben Shapiro or whatever. He'll destroy you or whatever. Yeah, okay. 
focus on the ideas, not the person, right? But hear what he says here. Not relativistic. They are universal. They are not group specific. They are universal. They are not group specific. They are universal, which means it applies to everyone. And most of all, they apply to individual human beings, not group labels. Okay, then he says it applies to hu individual human beings, not group behavior. It can't be universal if it doesn't apply to all human beings as a collective. You can't have both. It's either for everyone or it's only for one person or certain people. It, universal means the collective, everyone. That's the most collective you can get. And those values were first embedded clearly and concisely in the Ten Commandments. If we return to those values, we will be a virtuous citizenry deserving of our liberty. And if we turn away from those values, well, then we'll return to the horror of collectivism and tyranny. So I'm going to go through the Ten Commandments, and I want to explain what they say to today's modern politics, <laughs> what they say to us uh -oh. <laughs> in the room, and why the Ten Commandments are so important, and why they are still the basis for our outreach program on behalf of not only our God, but on behalf of a, of a philosophy that is the only remaining hope for Western civilization. I want to know. I would ask Ben Shapiro this. And if you're watching this, if somebody is kind enough to share this with Ben Shapiro, I want to know when you say our God, do you mean the God that gave us Jesus or the God who promised the Messiah that the Jews are still waiting on? If that's the same God, there's a mix up. Something's wrong here. Somebody made a mistake. Either the Messiah came or he didn't. And if the Messiah did come and you're claiming he didn't come, then you're talking about a different God. Can't be both. Both can't be true at the same time. But once again, silly me. Of a, of a philosophy that is the only remaining hope for Western civilization. So the first commandment is the most controversial and it's also the simplest. I'm the Lord thy God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of bondage. Now, to start off, this is a bizarre commandment because it doesn't actually command you to do anything on its face. But it does implicitly command you to do something. I want to keep in mind that there are not just 10 commandments. There are a whole host of commandments. There are hundreds of commandments. But we focus on just 10 commandments because for the sake of, like, simplicity, I guess. But, I mean, thou shalt not eat shrimp. You shouldn't eat shellfish. That's a commandment. How many people who are Christians or believers or Jews or, or whatever, like, Jews might adhere to a certain, like, uh, diet, but Christians, on the other hand, they don't they don't follow the same dietary uh diet. So uh like those are commandments, right? Like, I mean, but okay. We're focused on the 10 that the Christians and the Jews claim to, to all agree on. It doesn't actually command you to do anything on its face, but it does implicitly command you to do something. Remove yourself from the arbitrary bondage of the state and place yourself under a higher set of commandments. The Bible interpretation. The Bible tells us in Genesis that we are each made in God's image, and that means we have the capacity to choose and the obligation to choose right over wrong and life over death. God didn't make us in his image. God said he made man in our image, which he said was Adam. Adam means man, I'm guessing in Hebrew, right? So God made Adam or man in his image. Women don't look like men. Women were made from the rib of Adam, which means that women... Uh, may not necessarily be made in God's image. And then they had children, which I'm pretty sure that didn't follow the same rule. Now, okay, let's say Genesis is metaphorical. It's not meant to be taken literally, right? That means it's open for interpretation. And this is just one man's interpretation. 
Responsibility devolves on us personally because we are servants of God, not servants of the state. Across three millennia, Jews and Christians alike have fought for the common notion that our allegiance to God outranks our allegiance to the state and that if you use government to restrict my communion with godly values, I will resist you in every way possible. But there are majority of Christians probably in the government, in the state. Um, I mean, like, this is getting real dicey because, like, like I said before, Christians don't even agree on the same things. Like, th this would be all fine if all Christians and all Jews were on the same page. But if y'all not even on the same page, I, I don't even know how we even begin to dissect what we're talking about here. It's like, how you expect other people to be on the same page with you when y'all are not even on the same page with each other? It's that, okay. Let me give you an example, right? That's like me telling you that I want you to come pick me up in Atlanta, Georgia, right? But I'm currently in New York. How are you supposed to pick me up in Atlanta when I'm not even in Atlanta? So, what are we talking about here? Like, what you're asking, what I'm asking you to do can't possibly be met because the condition in which you're currently finding yourself in is it makes it impossible for it to be actually implemented. So that's, that's how it sounds to me. Today, collectivists, folks on the left, they tell us that the state can order you to disobey God in your daily dealings, right? They can order the Christian baker to cater to the same sex wedding. They can order the Jewish doctor, like my wife, to perform abortions, right? The first commandment says, no, you can't. And so does the First Amendment, which guarantees freedom of religion for precisely this reason. And it's because the founders understood the danger of tyranny and the value of individual freedom before God that they instituted the Second Amendment too. Okay, so let me let me clear something up, right? When they say Judeo-Christian, this is the problem with joining Judeo-Christianity together, right? Because they would argue that religious tolerance or religious freedom is something that you can find given the values that come directly from the Bible. But God in the Old Testament had no tolerance for any other religions. God had no tolerance for other people worshiping other gods or certain uh, false deities or whatever the case may be. God had no tolerance. There was zero tolerance for it. People have died because they decided to worship one God over another in the Bible. God has no religious tolerance. Where does that come from Judeo-Christianity? How did, when did we come before, when did we come from, there is one God, but one God, and you must serve him to, we should honor every religion, regardless of whether it be polytheistic or whatever the case may be. How do we get there? How do you, how do you draw the line from Christianity to that? I, I'd really be interested. They recognize that we have a God-given right to defend ourselves from tyranny and from terror. All right. So that was pretty interesting. And that's the end of that, you know, uh, you know. I walked into something there, but, you know, sometimes I like walking into stuff and not knowing what I'm going to get. <laughs> uh, ben sees his religion as the absolute, so he feels justified in speaking absolutes, which is fine. Absolutes work. Like I said, uh, in the game that we play in religion, in, in the game that we play in politics, it's all about using the effective means and methods that you have at your disposal in order to convince people to your side. It may not necessarily be logically accurate. It may not be consistent. It doesn't have to be as long as it gets you what you're looking for and the desire. And that is determined by the individual who's willing to go out into the world and put out certain ideas. And usually oftentimes those people are the most successful because they deal in absolutes. 
because people want absolutes. People want you to give them something they can use without putting too much thought into it. Ben Shapiro, everybody. Ben Shapiro. This video is brought to you by Hobby Lobby Apparel. You can click the link in the description below or go to the link down at the bottom of the screen. Every time you shop, you support the show, but you also get to look fly at the same time. Whether you got pets, whether you got children, or you're looking for something yourself, Hobby Lobby Apparel has something for everybody. One in a million, a million, the one villain. Too hot to be in the kitchen. I'll end up melting the ceiling.